Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Man, it's wonderful to be with you. Hello to the Christ Chapel family. And if you're joining us online, it's fun to be preaching at the West Campus this morning. Uh, so glad to be here with so many friends. That's a good time. Uh, yeah, yeah. There. Seem excited? I'm glad because we're going to have some fun today. And the fun begins when you open your Bibles. Please open your Bibles no matter where you are to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, it's going to be page 927. If you're opening one of those blue Bibles, uh, no matter what venue you're in, 927. Acts chapter 18, we're going to be in a, a short portion, just verses 24 to 28. Eight. Uh, any Rangers fans around uh, these days? All right. Yeah. Any Astros fans? Yeah. You are in the right place. You need to know that Jesus forgives sins. His blood covers over a multitude of those sins. No, uh, it's really fun uh, to, to ride the bandwagon of the Texas Rangers. Um, I don't regularly follow them, uh, but it has been fun watching them, especially through the playoffs. We haven't missed uh, the playoffs lately, and so the boys and I have been watching. But what makes the playoffs so fun, especially when you look at the Texas Rangers, is not really just where they are, but it's where they were. I mean, if you think about where the Rangers were, I, I think I've got this correct. They hadn't had a winning season since 2016. And then two years ago, they lost 100 games. Two years ago. I mean, that is relatively recent and it shines on, it makes their success today uh, all the more enjoyable. You even look at some of the people involved with the organization. I mean, Bruce Bochy, the manager, comes out of a four-year retirement and now here he is in the World Series. Uh, Adelise Garcia, you look at him. Uh, he defects from Cuba. Uh, in 2019, hardly any team gives him a look and the Texas Rangers pick him up and then he comes and obviously set a postseason and a record for RBIs. I mean, there's just wonderful things going on, but what makes those things so valuable and so treasured is where they were. It, they, they have these wonderful, uh, what Hollywood would call origin stories. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Hollywood's made a killing on origin stories uh, where they take these heroes and they go, you know what? We're gonna tell you a little bit about the beginning. So they just make like three more movies uh, so that you find out what the beginning was. But those origin stories are these stories where you find out uh, what the hero's challenges were growing up. It's not just about the bright spots of the heroic life, but it's what made them into the people that they are today. And so you look back at some of their influences, some of those serendipitous moments, some of those influential people that made those heroes into who they are. And that, again, makes you appreciate where they are because of where they were. And that's really encouraging, I think, to, to us because when you find out those origin stories of these different uh, heroes or whatnot, especially like, a, let's relate it to the Rangers. If you're a baseball fan, you go, man, I'm so glad to hear that they didn't bat a thousand all the time. That, that's very relatable uh, to us. It, it not only gives texture to, to that character, that, that person, that personality, but it gives you hope that, that maybe... 
maybe God could use me. Maybe something positive could happen, even though I'm experiencing these challenges, even though I'm not batting a thousand, even though I had a strikeout. Maybe one day this could be on the road to something that God could use in a great way later on in the future. See, I bring up these origin stories because today we're gonna look at an origin story of a hero of the faith. And the hero is Apollos, which sounds like such a heroic name, doesn't it? I mean, I'm so glad they gave him a heroic name. You know, it wasn't like Jim, you know? Hey, if your name's Jim, you're awesome. Uh, So I just, I just... You know what I mean. Okay, but Apollos, I mean, Apollos, what a great name. And we're going to look at Apollos. He's a hero of the New Testament, an absolute hero. I mean, some think that he may have been the writer of the book of Hebrews. And there's good reason why, why some people would think that, which we'll talk a little bit about today. But he was so influential. If you remember this, we've talked about this verse before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, some people equate him with Paul. You remember, he, Apollos is so influential that he's almost garnered this kind of cult following in Christianity, which is not good, but I'm just highlighting the fact that he was, he was very influential. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. He's trying to put the focus on God and not on any individual, but that's how influential and heroic Apollos is in the New Testament but he didn't just show up on the scene batting a thousand. He has an origin story, an origin story that I think is very relatable and very applicable to us today. So I wanna jump into that and just wanna read the passage. We're certainly gonna break it down, but I wanna just read it as a whole. So if you will, just follow along with me. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, which again, I apologize. If your name is Jim, I am really sorry. I'm feeling convicted about that now. So please forgive me. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And we're going to stop there for today. May God bless the reading of his word, and may our hearts be open to hear from him. So uh, if you'll remember, uh, Paul is on, the apostle Paul, um, let me, I'm going back just a little bit to give you some context. The apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. And we talked a little bit about this last week when we talked about uh, Paul was in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila. And Dr. Bailey did a fantastic job uh, talking about the providence of God uh, last week. And so he's on his third missionary journey. But then we get this, this odd pause here in chapter 18, verse 24, where Apollos is introduced in 
Ephesus. Now, I want to just show you so that you understand kind of where we are. We were in Corinth last week, and then we go across the Aegean Sea to Ephesus. Ephesus is a major port city, major port city. There was uh, the temple of Artemis was there, a a goddess of fertility. It was actually one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, but a major port city, uh, absolutely idolatrous, wonderful ruins if you go there today, although the temple of Artemis is completely uh, destroyed. But um, Ephesus, a major port city there. Uh, You can see, just to retrace some of our steps, remember Antioch of Syria is the sending church that that's the home church that continues to send Paul. Jerusalem has plenty of context. You understand that. And then there's Alexandria in Northern Africa, which we're going to talk about today because Apollos is from Alexandria. Now, Alexandria was a major intellectual capital of the world, major intellectual. They had a library there that had over half a million uh, documents, manuscripts for people to learn from. And so learned people came from Alexandria. Alexandria also had a huge Jewish population there. Uh, so there, uh, there, there are some combinations that, that you'll see that are going on here of why people would think that the writer of Hebrews might have been Apollos. He had a Jewish background, Jewish heritage, but he also was very learned in the scriptures. But what I love about this passage, and I've tried to highlight a few of these things as we've gotten into this series of revealing the unknown God, Uh, If you'll remember, we talked about some firsts. Like remember the first time we saw uh, Paul reasoning and we talked about that word reasoning. Do you guys remember that? Okay, he reasoned, he dialogued. We saw that was the first time that Luke introduced that term. Another one that we introduced was it was the first time in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was in Athens. It was the first time that we saw him going into the marketplace day by day. And we encourage you, this is why we want to reveal the unknown God in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your everyday context, day by day. That was a first. And today we have another first. This is the first time in Acts that we begin to see the gospel propelled through people who have never seen Jesus face to face. If you think about it, go, go think about everybody that we've encountered through Acts. We've had Peter, major player. And we, if you have New Testament context, Peter was with Jesus. I mean, Peter spent plenty of time with Jesus. Then you have Paul, Paul saw Jesus, had this Jesus encounter on the road to Damascus. He's, he's seen the Lord. This is the first time that the gospel is beginning to make strides through people that's never, that have never seen him face to face, which I find is very encouraging because I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus face to face. And so that's encouraging to me, that's relatable to me, that these people can be a part of the movement historically of Christianity, moving the gospel forward, seeing people come to know Christ, encouraging other believers, even though they haven't seen him face to face. So what we're going to study today is very applicable to us as we continue that New Testament movement of the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to go back and look at this origin story of Apollos, who doesn't bat a thousand, which again, is very relatable. I'm not batting a thousand. I would guess that you aren't either. 
But going back to this origin story where we can look at Apollos and what made this hero of the faith and how did God use him and others around him in these serendipitous moments, these influential people to end up making a disciple that makes the movement continue. So that's what we're gonna look at today. So if you will take out your sermon notes because it'll be helpful for you, especially when we get to the gray box that's underneath the second point. Uh, But we're gonna start at the beginning as we break this back down. And I want you to see that Apollos was a disciple that was just doing the most with what he knew. Apollos was a disciple doing the most with what he knew. If you look back at verses 24 and 25, it says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that was Northern Africa that we talked about that you saw on the map, he came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being and that means the way of the Lord Jesus. That means, so I've got to be clear on that. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So Apollos is from Alexandria. He ends up going to Ephesus and he is just on fire for the Lord. He, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's evangelizing, he's doing all these things. And he is wonderfully competent in the Old Testament scriptures. And remember, Alexandria was very knowledgeable in those things. And with the Jewish context, a large Jewish population, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. So he is teaching everything that he knows, and he's doing it with uh, accuracy and competency. And this is going to be a key thing that you need to understand because this word's repeated twice. It says that he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So there's, he's teaching Jesus by grace through faith, grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, salvation. He's teaching that accurately about Jesus. But it says, Luke records, that he doesn't know about the baptism of Jesus. He only knows about the baptism of John. Now, I've got to take a quick aside to just explain that. If you remember, back before Jesus came, there was a forerunner. There was someone who came before him, and his name was John. Good. John the baptizer, or John the Baptist. And he was baptizing people so that they could prepare for the coming king. The way that I think about this is it was basically like, hey, get your life right and clean yourself up because the king is coming. It's like you're getting ready for a first date and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna get showered up, shave, cologne, you know, I'm gonna do all the, all the nice stuff and get cleaned up to meet that person. That, that's basically what the baptism of, of John was like. It, it was getting ready to meet that coming king. But it says that he doesn't know about the baptism of Jesus because once you place your faith in Jesus and you are baptized, you are not waiting for Christ. You've already met Christ. Now you're identifying with Christ. It's two different things. I wrote down some, some contrasts here. So John was baptizing for the repentance of sin. It was, it was I'm not going to keep living my old life. But 
in Christ, you are now identified with him to walk in your new life. Uh, with John, it was by water. With Christ, it, you are baptized as soon as you believe by the Holy Spirit. Um, he is, uh, in John, you're walking away from that old life. As I said, in Christ, you're walking into the new life. In John, uh, John's baptism, you were set apart from the world. Um, in Christ, you are now identified in the body. So there's some contrast going, in, going on here. And all that Apollos had heard of was the, the first, the, the John's baptism. He hadn't heard of the baptism of Jesus, but he's just doing the most of what he knew. He, he, did, he didn't know any better, but yet it said that he still taught accurately the things of Jesus. And I want to draw a quick application on this for all of us, especially the, all of these applications fall into our be, make, and reach. And we're going to emphasize make, but uh, the first one is this, be a disciple who strives to accurately represent Jesus. Be a disciple who strives to accurately represent Jesus. And the reason why I use that word strive is because of how Luke describes Apollos having fervor, having, having passion, having intentionality, ha having this, this desire that drives him. He, he wanted to, to accurately represent Jesus. And the best way to strive to accurately represent Jesus is to know what he says and obey what he says. That, that's the way that you most accurately represent him. You've got to know what he says through his word, and then we obey his word. That, that's the way that you be a disciple or you are a disciple is by accurately representing him. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, Cody, I don't have all the answers. How, how can I always accurately represent him? What if I have more questions? Let me remind you that there are many things that you do in your life that you don't have all the answers for. Many things. Uh, let me tell you of one that came to my mind. Uh, our older son, Dax, uh, in one month will turn 12 years old, which is crazy to, to think about. But almost 12 years ago, uh, we left the hospital with sweet baby Dax. And I could not believe that we were leaving the hospital with a child that we knew nothing about. That the, the doctors and the nurses who were trained of how to take care of infants said, here, sweet young couple, you take this thing home, this child, and raise it in the way that it should go. Now, we wanted to be the most accurate parents that we could. We wanted to do everything right. And we did our darndest to try. I mean, you talk about, you know, boiling the pacifier when it falls on the ground and all those, and you know, the, the warmed baby wipes and those kind of things. I mean, like, we're, we're like, this is the right thing, right? You know, and they, they make a weird noise or Dax would make it, and you're like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. You know, and you're, you're on your toes. We didn't have all the answers, but we were striving to be the best parents that we could be. Were we 100% accurate the whole time? No, absolutely not. But 
It taught us how to, how to do the best that we could to accurately parent him well, even though we didn't have all the answers. And here's one of the things that I've learned. And I've tried to encourage, encourage Christians uh, uh, along the way with this. And this is kind of a principle. It's kind of axiomatic. But honestly, if you're striving to do your best, you're oftentimes doing the best. Like if, if you're striving, if you're like, Jesus, I want to accurately represent you. If you're striving to do it, you probably are doing the best. You're doing not only the best you can, but you're doing the best in that situation. I think that's true in, in parenting too. If you're striving to do the best, you probably are being the best. You're, you're doing the best that you can with as much as you know. And that's what Apollos was doing. He was doing the best that he could with what he knew at the time. And here's the encouraging part. When we need help, God sends help. And he sends help to Apollos. See, Apollos met disciples doing the most with what they had. See, he was doing the most with what he knew, but then he meets some disciples doing the most with what they had. And these disciples were Priscilla and Aquila. If you remember, Dr. Bailey introduced us to Priscilla and Aquila last week. We've actually seen them earlier, but he talked about them as they had a Jewish heritage, same heritage. He talked about them being a part of the team of Paul. Same heritage, same belief, same occupation, same kind of travel schedule too. They were able to be mobile because remember what their occupation was? Trivia time. Tent makers, very good. They were tent makers. They made, literally made tents, which was Paul's uh, occupation as well, as he was a bivocational uh, kind, of, kind of pastor. So they, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are in Ephesus too. Remember, they went to Ephesus with Paul, but Paul leaves and Priscilla and Aquila stay there. And there's this serendipitous moment in Apollos' origin story where they meet. Look back at verse 26. It says, and he began, that is Apollos, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but what Priscilla and Aquila, uh, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And I think the way of God more accurately they were teaching him is the baptism of Jesus, which is what we just talked about earlier. But one of the things that I, I want you to notice here is that Priscilla and Aquila are in the synagogue. They're sitting down at a church service and uh, in, in the synagogue, in a sense, a church service. But uh, Apollos begins to speak and they're like, oh my gosh, there is something that he doesn't know. Like we're, we're picking up on this. And notice that they don't go, he's wrong and I'm out. He's canceled. He is wrong. Don't listen to him. They didn't stand up in front of everybody and go, heretic, you know, like, what a, they very calmly, very graciously take him aside and they begin to make a disciple. And we've talked about making a disciple and we've, the way that we've defined it is, are you helping someone grow in Christ? And they are helping him grow in Christ. And there are some very practical ways that they're doing that, that I think are applicable to us. It doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, or something that's encouraging here is even a couple, Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple that, that taking, this is a couple's ministry. 
in, in a sense. It doesn't have to just be individuals, but these couples take, a, a, this couple takes Apollos and they begin to make a disciple. So what I wanna do is I put this on your gray box. I wanna go through the things that Priscilla and Aquila did, the effect that it had on Apollos, but then how can we apply that? Therefore, what should we do? What can we do to help make disciples in our modern world? So let's walk through that box uh, very quickly. So first, as they're listening to him, they identified his potential. They identified his potential. They probably, I am certain, now I'm gonna use in some of this just to, to be completely transparent. I'm using some sanctified imagination here. So this doesn't explicitly tell me that they identified his potential, but I think they saw all the things that Luke records, that this guy was fervent in spirit, that he, that he spoke of the Lord accurately, that he was uh, in, competent in the scriptures, that he was an eloquent speaker. They see his potential and they go, man, that is, that is awesome. And, and so they identify his potential. And we, we talk about this um, uh, in, in our circles. Uh, we've t- I learned a term, a phrase that I think is very helpful. And it's, uh, they're called I-C-N-U conversations. I-C-N-U. And the, and the way I've taught it, they literally use just the letters. Um, but really, it's just telling someone else, can I tell you what I see in you? I see in you potential. I see in you somebody that people feel really comfortable around. I see in you someone who's very empathetic. I see in you, and, and it's those I, that, that, that draws on the potential that, that people have. And here's the effect that Apollos, I imagine, is very encouraged. I imagine it's very encouraged. Aren't you encouraged when someone says, I see in you? That they see some potential, they see something positive in you? That's always encouraging to every one of us. So therefore, here's your application. Share a compliment. Share a compliment with someone. Share share something positive about them. And you can do it the same way that we just talked about with that phrase, I see in you. Here's something I see uh, about you. You're very observant. You're very perceptive. You're very prayerful. You're very discerning. You're, you're great at this. I see in you. Share a compliment. We've talked about um, I, at Christ Chapel, I want us to have a culture of encouragement just a culture of encouragement where we're always encouraging people. And we can have a culture of encouragement when we share compliments with one another. Because guess what? A compliment costs you nothing, but to someone else can mean everything. It can mean everything. That can be what propels them on and keeps them going, keeps them in the game. So share a compliment, okay? Second, they invited him aside. Priscilla and Aquila invite him aside, maybe to their tent. You know, maybe they had a tent set up in Ephesus and they're like, hey, would you come talk to us at our tent, please? You know, I'm sure they had a nice cup of tea or something like that um, there or Turkish coffee, probably Turkish coffee uh, in Ephesus. But they, they pull, him, pull him aside and they take him aside, which I think is is very, very important because they don't correct him publicly. 
Because remember, he's teaching the things accurately. He's teaching the way of the Lord accurately, but there's something else that he doesn't know. So they pull him aside privately rather than doing it publicly. And I think that's really important because sometimes people who want to correct other people publicly, they want to tear others down to build themselves up. And, and, it, and Priscilla and Aquila realized this isn't about me. This isn't about us being right. This isn't about showing everybody else in the synagogue how smart we are so everybody hears. It's about making a disciple because honestly, again, sanctified imagination, but I can imagine if they corrected Apollos in public that way and they stood up and heretic, he doesn't know what he's talking about and we know better, don't listen to him. That could have crushed Apollos. I've seen it crush some of you where your confidence gets crushed and you're like, gosh, man, I was just doing the best with what I knew, doing the best with what I had. Now I don't even wanna try. Again, let's not get to that place. They, they take him aside. And here's what I think that does. I think Apollos was engaged. I think Apollos was engaged. I mean, if you, if you got corrected in front of everyone, you wouldn't feel necessary. You definitely wouldn't feel encouraged. You would feel chastised. You would feel embarrassed if that happened in public. But if somebody pulls you aside, that allows you to engage. That allows you to have eye contact. That allows you to, to not necessarily think about what everybody else is saying, what everyone else is doing. It allows you to just engage in this one-on-one or what is here, one-on-two a conversation. Apollos was engaged. So here's an application for us. Therefore, share your home. Share your home. Invite someone in. Invite someone aside. It doesn't always have to just be in, in public because again, if it's in public, it might be about you. It might be about, your motives might be to be seen or to be heard or to be uh, liked, etc. Man, pull that person aside and go, hey, come over. Come over and let's, let's have a chat. Let's, ha- let's have a talk. Let's have a talk in private. Uh, I, I think that's very encouraging. When you share your home, by the way, hospitality is not only a qualification for leadership in the New Testament, hospitality is a sign of Christian maturity, that we can share the things that we have and we can get into places and homes. Man, you do know that when we get into homes, walls come down. You've seen it. You've experienced it before. You can have real relationships in those kinds of settings. And that's the relationship that they begin here with Apollos. And so, and then our last one, let's go through this. Uh, our last one in that gray box. Another thing that the disciples did, they informed him of what they knew. They informed him of what they knew. They taught him, they explained to him the way of God more accurately. I love this. They didn't question his salvation. They didn't even tell him that he needed to go get rebaptized. They just explained to him what they knew. Here's, here's what we know. Let me explain that to you. Therefore, uh, Apollos was equipped. He was able to teach the way of God more accurately, which we'll see here in just a moment. Therefore, here's the application for us. Share your experience. Share your experience. Share the things that you know. 
Share the things that, that and, and by the way, because I know one, one of the, the thoughts that you're gonna have is, well, Cody, how can I share my experience when I don't know everything that the other person might know about Jesus? Sometimes, everything that you share in order to make disciples doesn't have to just be knowledge. It can also be experience. And it's not necessarily experience about how you did it right or how you did it wrong. It can be experience of how God showed up, how God has been faithful, how make your experience, your experience doesn't always have to be, well, let me tell you the five steps to a great Christian walk. You know, please bow at my feet while I teach you these. You know, please don't do that, okay? This is just, hey, can I tell you, you, it seems like you're going through a tough time. Can I just, can I just invite you over and tell you how faithful God has been to me? Because I know what you're going through. I mean, how encouraging would that be? To, to somebody that's going through a rough time. So share your experience. And you say, I, I'm not the expert, I get it. One of the things that we need to get back to, uh, this is Cody's term, uh, think about it as little duckling discipleship. Think, you, you know a mama duck and little ducks? You, do you know how they walk? Does everybody have that picture in their head? I don't, have, don't need to show you a picture of it, do I? Okay, some of you maybe. Okay, okay. They're all following the leader. But really, they're just following the one that's right in front of them. And you just have to be one step ahead. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to be the leader. You just have to be one step ahead. And you're one step ahead of someone else in their journey that can encourage them to, here, take the next step with Jesus this way. So in our modern uh, day, make disciples by utilizing what you have to build others up. Make disciples by utilizing what you have to build others up. You have words, you have compliments, you have experiences, you have homes, you have apartments, you have resources, you have so many things at your disposal. Make disciples by utilizing what you have, by what God's given you in order to build others up. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila do for Apollos, this origin story, this making of this New Testament hero. And we see the effect that it has because Apollos applied what he'd learned to continue to make Christ known. Apollos applied what he'd learned to continue to make Christ known. And we know that he applied what he had learned because he gets this endorsement from the the church in Ephesus to go across to Achaia. Look back at verses 27 and 28. It says, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. I love this because you see him taking on the same approach that it seems like Priscilla and Aquila had with him. He had a public ministry that he had, and he already had that, but he adds this private ministry where he's encouraging those believers who had received grace, uh, who through grace had believed. So it's this private thing that I think he had learned even that approach from Priscilla and Aquila, even though he, and he added that to his public ministry with the Jews. So application, reach out to help those around you learn about Jesus with grace and truth. Reach out to help those around you learn about Jesus with grace and truth. 
no doubt that truth changes hearts. But grace also greases the skids. Truth changes hearts. Grace greases the skids. It helps us to hear things when things are presented graciously and kindly, privately, etc. And that's the approach that he applies that I think that he began to learn from Priscilla and Aquila. You see, the making of a movement that we see from the New Testament and the way that the movement of Christ and the gospel continues today always includes the making of disciples. It always includes the making of disciples. If they had shut him down, I don't know what would happen. I don't, I don't know what the New Testament would, would look like. And that's the movement that we continue to carry on today. And you say, you might say, I don't know where to start, Cody. Like, I, I would love to share my experiences with someone. Or you're in a spot where you say, I would love to, to hear some experiences from someone else. I would love to find this relationship either side that you think you're on. If you want to begin a conversation about that, then there's a QR code on your sermon notes. You can just click on that QR code to begin a conversation. So begin a conversation about making disciples as we relate to one another so that we understand and can have these relatable stories today. We can draw on these, but we need to come together and build on those things so that we can continue the movement of Christ in our community. Amen? Okay, let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for um, recording this in your word, how encouraging, how relatable that is to us, that we don't have to bat a thousand that we, that we can continue to do the best with, with what we know, the best with what we have. And Lord God, know that you will bring people alongside. So I pray for, for all of those folks right now that are going, Lord, I need somebody to come alongside me. Lord, provide those serendipitous moments that are divine encounters where you bring people along. Lord God, uh, bring those folks side by side so that we can sharpen one another, encourage one another, so that we can strive to represent you accurately to our families and our marriages and our homes and our workplaces, etc. Lord, we want to see that movement continue. We don't want it to stop with us. We want to continue to see you reach those in our own backyard who do not know or walk with you. And that starts with us making disciples. So Lord God, our hearts are open to hear from you. May our lives be obedient to do what you say. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.